0: This is Leva Bates, AEW's librarian, co-host of the Geek Soapbox, renowned Twitch partner, and a two-time Flower City Comic Con guest. And you are listening to Gaming Street Irregulars. But you better listen to my show first. I'm just saying. Thanks.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is when you listen. This is Gaming Street Irregulars. I'm your construction foreman, James Irish. Joining me is our cement contractor, Chrissy Harding. Hello, everyone! And today we have a special guest in the studio straight from the Monkey Business Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, renowned Rochester radio personality, Billy Datori,
0: <laughs> former former Rochester radio personality, they haven't wanted me in a while.
1: Oh, and they that, are idiots them, for that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. on them, not you.
2: That makes them a bunch of monkeys hanging on top of a skyscraper.
0: <laughs> and I hope nothing goes wrong. My one of my cats is is investigating the uh, keyboard. <laughs> And the computer, so... Oh, dear. Which one is that one? Is it pie? Pie. Yep, yeah, pie. Pie. Oh, Pi. Pie. <laughs> little three-legged kitty. 3.14-legged oh, so. 3. kitty. Yeah, 3.14. Exactly.
1: Four. Uh, he seems to
0: be calmed down now. Oops. Okay. Stop stepping on the little mouse pad. Maybe because he likes mouses.
2: Possible. Oh,
0: what? A, come on, you... He wants to be in my lap, and that's where the laptop is. So,
2: of course, he's gonna make he, it's, he's gonna sit there and be like, "All right, you're not paying attention to me. What is wrong with you?"
0: He's looking at the file waves now. So, <laughs> so hopefully you can hear me because I had to move the computer a little bit. We can,
1: can hear you just fine, Bill. Okay, awesome. But you just reminded me of our my family's first cat, Salem, named after the Sabrina the Teenage Witch character, of course. Exactly. And when I started collecting HeroClix, the uh, the miniatures game featuring Marvel and DC superheroes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I had some out on a table, and he kept trying to get away with of all characters, Black Canary.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny! That's awesome. Yes. <laughs>
1: but large animals carrying away damsels in distress and monkeys climbing up buildings all ties into our subject today we are starting our series of the Mar- of Mario game podcasts with the original arcade games Donkey Kong and its immediate successors mhm and there's a lot of history that went into these games there's a lot of just about everything you can think of in these suckers. I mean, Donkey Kong was this, the second major cultural video game intrusion into the mainstream af- after Pac-Man the previous year in, in 1980. So, you know, 1981 comes along and Nintendo in their scramble to uh, fix up a flop of an arcade game, which we'll get into in a moment they uh, turned to a a young man named Shigeru Miyamoto, and he cooked up the first narrative in arcade games. I mean, up until that point, personality in in games was limited to the moving eyes of the ghosts in Pac-Man and simple things like that. Whereas with Donkey Kong, you had something of a story as told in its introduction with the big old lug carrying... Pauline up the up the scaffolding of a construction site and and then eventually you as the diminutive Mario chasing after them.:
2: And originally he did not have a name, then they gave him the name of Jump Man, and then he eventually became Mario.:
1: Yeah, before that, he was intended to be called Mr.
2: Video.-hmm was His not intent- uh- yeah, it was not intended to become Mario
1: his original purpose was to be all purposes. He would be something that could Nintendo could slot in just about anywhere for any kind of protagonist or even antagonist as they saw fit. And definitely a lot of that would creep into his his future. But we will get into that in after this short break. <laughs> So the history of Donkey Kong actually starts with a game called Radar Scope. That's, it was one of many Space Invaders clones Nintendo was trying to sell, and of them, it was the most successful in Japan. They thought this would be their big entree into American homes. It wasn't. It, at that point in 1981, uh, Space Invaders clones had become kind of passe, especially with the rise of maze-chase games like Pac-Man and side-scrolling shooters like Defender. So Nintendo had to rush and scramble to do something with all these arcade cabinets sitting in a Washington-based warehouse. And Shigeru Miyamoto, the person who Nintendo, probably through Gunpei Yokoi, that one of their chief uh, creators, uh, when they turned to him, uh, Miyamoto... His first thought was actually somebody you're very familiar with, Billy. Okay. Popeye. Oh, Popeye. <laughs> yeah, and you look at the dynamic of the Donkey Kong game as it stands, you could easily squeeze that same thing into in, in into a Popeye premise, so, you know, the big antagonist, call it Donkey Kong or Bluto, Bluto a, yeah. A waif like uh uh, Love olive shreds, oil, olive oil, or Pauline, and okay. being chased by a hero who is shorter than both of them, Mario or Popeye.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that's cool. I never thought. I never considered that.
1: And as a matter of fact, uh, Nintendo was in the middle of getting the license for Popeye for a different set of products. Nintendo, being principally a toy maker at this point in time, but the licensing didn't come quite in time for them to get this uh, thing moving so they so they could get those cabinets out the door mm-hmm. so miyamoto instead went back to his previous bag of tricks he had created artwork for a game called sky skipper which was itself somewhat king kong inspired in that you were a, a fellow in an airplane flying around these giant gorillas so it's like, okay, this worked before. It'll probably work again. And that's where where Donkey Kong himself came from.
0: Huh. That, see, that's why I have you around, James. I need to know stuff. I, I find stuff like that very interesting. But yeah, I I, oh. it, it didn't occur to me to uh, actually look that stuff up because I figure you'd tell me all the interesting stories.
2: Yeah. And interesting enough, even the part the part of the name Donkey, there's several myths behind how that name came to be. Uh, the first one that came out was the fact that he originally was supposed to be called Monkey Kong, but due to a bad connection with Maimoto uh, calling back to uh, talking with someone, it went from monkey to donkey. Um, the other myth with that, too, is he was actually looking up terms or slang to mean stubborn or stupid, and a donkey was meant to convey something silly or stubborn. He initially wanted the name of the ma- of the animal to mean silly or stupid. gorilla. Um, huh. so that's how he kind of came up with Donkey Kong. Was just sounded stupid. Yeah,
0: it's you know I I I, I never considered the name either. But I I, I at some point sure. I wonder why Donkey Kong, but then it just becomes part of the vernacular part of, you just get used to it. You don't think about that. And
2: this is actually one of the first games where they came up with the story before they came up with the actual game. Um, He actually had an idea for the story in mind based off of um, Popeye Beauty and the Beast and also the 1933 movie King Kong.
0: That's what um, I always assumed it was with Faye Ray.
2: Yeah. He, he that was one top. of yeah. yeah, that was just one of the influences on it. Um, which also caused him to get in a little bit of trouble with Universal Studios who still owned the rights to Donkey Kong at the time.
1: Ah, not- Kong. Y-
0: yeah.
1: You know, we you saw that story in uh, in the high score documentary on Netflix, which we discussed back on the Monkey Business podcast a few weeks ago. Yep. <laughs> and the and the variety of other iterations of King Kong out there, which proved that it had kind of become a generic term. It's like we use uh, Vaseline for petroleum jelly, or Kleenex for tissue paper, or mm-hmm. Band-Aid for sterilized bandages. King Kong can can generally mean something big. Large, unwieldy, and dangerous. Yeah.
0: And now that I think about it, this podcast is very, very timely with uh, King Kong versus Godzilla coming out this week.
2: Yes. That's very, really, yeah, that's very true. true.
1: Which one of uh, our friends
2: was supposed to see a preview of it, actually.
1: Yeah, huh. and that preview got canceled. Hmm. That's oh.
0: too bad. Now Sorry, just Jackson. one l- one little piece of trivia as long as you we went down that route. And uh, the Japanese version of uh, King Kong versus Godzilla from the 60s, the version released in America, King Kong won. The version released in Japan, Godzilla won.
1: Sounds about right. Nice. Yeah. At, you know, p- play up to whatever market your your uh, character represents the home yeah. team for, I yeah. suppose.
0: I guess so. And I'm sorry I interrupted your uh, Donkey Kong history. No, no. You're oh.
1: fine. That's our first mark on the tangent board. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Come on. This is an FC3 podcast. You know we run on tangents. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, it's also interesting, too, is um, they came up with the name Mario based off of the landlord of the original office space for Nintendo of America, uh, Mario Segal. Huh. So, I mean, going back to the Kirby came from John Kirby, the lawyer who defended Nintendo. Like Nintendo is very good at honoring people who have helped them, which is kind of cool.
1: Absolutely. I, I think my favorite instance of that so far, still to this day, is the Animal Crossing character KK Slider, who is inspired <laughs> by music composer uh, Toto KK.
2: Very true. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Pauline's name actually came from Polly James. She was the wife of Nintendo's um, warehouse manager, John James. Don James. Like, they just were pulling names from people who when, uh, kind of came over here to work on this project, the people who he had to meet and work with, which was really a nice homage to the people who helped make Donkey Kong become Donkey Kong.
1: That's, you know, I actually forgot about that part. Mm-hmm. So, so let's get into the gameplay of, of Donkey Kong itself. The, it's, this was for Ameri- for most Americans, the first exposure to a side view platform game. There had been a couple before that in the past, most notably Universal's Space Panic. But uh, this, but when I say a side view game, you know, picture looking at the screen like you're looking at an ant farm. It's a very two dimensional slice of what is actually going on just condensed to the information you need to know to actually successfully play the game and Mario's challenges are are generally hor- a matter of horizontal and vertical movement you know he his his options for movement are both horizontal walking across the various girders and platforms and vertical with the ladders and the, the elevators and what have you as, as you slowly climb up the construction site. So, so the chat the, and the, the challenge comes through four separate screens and this in and of itself was actually pretty revolutionary. Up until this point, most video games only had one screen. You know, like Pac-Man's maze, the setup of Space Invaders or Galaxian. You know, Space Panic, which I mentioned a moment ago, only had the one screen. Defender only had the one map layout, even though it did scroll. But Donkey Kong had four distinct stages to it, and we all know the first one dubbed "25 Meters," which is the the tilted girders, the result of Donkey Kong stomping around on top of them where you're jumping over the barrels. The second stage, 50 meters, is the one most frequently not included in the ports for the game. This is dubbed the quote-unquote cement factory, otherwise known as the pie factory by people who miss the whole construction site theme of the stages. And the reason this gets cut out the most is because it includes the most unique assets... Compared to the other three stages, so if you're going to be saving memory while getting the most of the game, developers figured that's the one that's got to go. On third stage, oh. 75 millimeters is the uh, is the one with the elevators and then the jacks, oh, and it is the most vertically oriented. Up, uh, I think we found Chrissy's kryptonite for the week. I
2: hate that stage. <laughs> I like all of them but that one
1: which is ironic because that's the one that was translated into Smash Brothers.
2: I know. Every time I get that stage in Smash Brothers it's just reopening that trauma wound.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that one is definitely the the most complex in terms of its layout though not necessarily assets since it shares the the, gir- the girder pattern with the 25 meter stage and then finally up top of the 100 meters is an unfinished bit of scaffolding that mario gets to weaponize against kong by removing the rivets that are holding it all up now billy yes your primary experience uh, Actually, comes from the Atari Twenty Six Hundred version, right?
0: Atari Twenty Six Hundred, yeah. I don't even. I had the Nintendo NES system, but I don't think I. I don't remember having a Donkey Kong game for that. So Atari Twenty Six Hundred and the original arcade cabinet game and the timeout at Grease Longridge Mall at the time uh, were were the Donkey Kongs I played and. I, I was never very good at it. It was always fun, uh, but it wasn't one that I, I got any good at. So I didn't see some of these uh, levels you're talking about until, you know, many years later. in like documentaries and and just like the history of video gaming type of stuff, videos on YouTube. I didn't know okay. some of these existed because I never got that far.
1: Okay, we need to go on a tangent again because you mentioned mentioned Longridge. Oh,
2: Longridge Mall.
1: And that was always the weird mall. No, that was the good mall.
2: That well, was the we- long mall. The weird mall was Greasetown because they had the little thing outside. They had the Rube Goldberg devices put throughout the mall.
1: Okay, then I think we're getting our malls mixed up because that's the one I remember the timeout being at.
0: See, I, I remember it being in Longridge. There was just two. as you entered okay.
2: There was two. There was there was one in Grease Ridge and there was one in Longridge. I've been in both. Longridge had the better timeout. Even though it's oh, cool. all the same company.
0: Pretty because fine. yeah, there, there was Greestown and Longridge and then eventually they combined them. now for the mall we know and love now, but
1: Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I remember when you
0: first went into Long Ridge Mall, when I was a little kid, you had those big foam blocks that kids could play on.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and to the with right all the hand- animals. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody
2: got that. Like there was something, somebody had had it in their uh in their somewhere in a warehouse, and they were looking to sell it to get it fixed back up again so they could put it back out on display. I and don't
0: then- to the right of those foam blocks was the timeout in Longridge right. Mall,
1: and there were also all these other weird exhibits.
0: Yeah, there was a mm-hmm. bunch of like modern art in there.
1: Yeah, now the only remnant left of that, to my memory, is the old pencil sculpture outside Barnes and Noble. Now,
0: I was just at Barnes and Noble yesterday. I uh, I don't think I've ever noticed it because my gets. dentist is. My it dentist does. is right next to uh, Barnes & Noble, so I'll have to look next time.
1: So, back to the home versions of this, of Donkey mm-hmm. Kong, because you mentioned the Atari 2600. The first home version of the game would actually come out on the ColecoVision, which I've brought up several times. Was My introduction to that system was the moment that changed my life forever when my dad came home with with ColecoVision, Donkey Kong, and Zaxxon. But Coleco got into a bit of trouble with one of their expansion modules that let them play Atari 2600 games on their own system. Yeah, that's
0: kind of what I think I remember that. I I didn't have one, but I I think I I remember hearing Mm -hmm. about that. And whining Coleco because of it.
1: Yeah. Now, what eventually happened was they settled out of court, and Coleco and Atari would start making games for each other. Atari already had the, the apparatus for this setup with their Atari Soft label, where they were making games for platforms outside their own, like computer platforms and Intellivision. But for Coleco, this was a new branching out. And this is what led to that 2600 version of Donkey Kong. And now we're going to get back into rumors and hearsay here, Chrissy, because you, you know you were talking about the the sto- the stories, and rumors about how the Donkey Kong name came about. Mm-hmm. The big rumor about the twenty six hundred version of Donkey Kong was Atari, not not Atari, Coleco intentionally made a lesser version of it.
2: Oh. Um,
1: now, granted. The Atari 2600 was no Coleco Vision. Coleco was more uh, in line with Atari's 5200 hardware specs. Yeah. But at the same time, you look at the Donkey Kong in the 2600 game, and he looks more like a burnt gingerbread man.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> accurate. That's the worst part about it.
1: <laughs> Mario looks okay. Looks like he put on a little more weight than we're used to seeing the character with, even in this modern day. But, but he's still recognizably Mario.
2: I don't know how I feel about the fact that we just tried to fat shame Mario.
1: Uh, actually, I'm not even sure if putting on weight is is more the is the way to go with it. It's more like he more like he put his. More like he was flattened with a with a rolling pin.
2: That's a better. That's more accurate. It was like it's just, yeah. it felt like he's. They just took like a, a paper copy of him and were just. It was like Paper Mario before Paper Mario actually was cool. Right.
1: Or, or maybe they just took his image and put it on some silly putty and stretched that out.
2: That sounds surprising. With some of these guys, I wouldn't be surprised anymore. Just saying. <laughs>
1: And worst of all, the Atari 2600 version only had two stages: the the barrel stage and the rivet stage. So those are so that there's a reason why those are probably the two most folks out there are most familiar with. Well, that's one of the reasons anyway.
0: And if, if you look on eBay, you can still buy ColecoVision version of Donkey Kong. Oh,
1: well, naturally. That's it's easy. it's it's very, very common because it was the packing game for the ColecoVision. Mm-hmm. Barring a few very small exceptions, I I believe uh, one of my old Dungeon Masters, when he got his system, it came bundled with Zaxxon.
0: With Whereas that idea? I just clicked on the eBay version if you want. Donkey Kong Looping and Pepper 2. $16. That's
2: actually not bad for those three games.
1: Now, Looping and Pepper 2, those two games wouldn't be able to support a podcast on their own. Mm, Yeah, nope. In fact, I I, I don't think I've ever played either of them.
2: You're not missing much.
1: Okay, fair enough. When it comes to the old Coleco games, I remember like Venture, Carnival, mm-hmm. Ladybug, Mouse Mousetrap, Cosmic Avenger.
2: Those are generally yeah.
1: regarded as B-tier arcade games, but, you know, Coleco gave them a lot more visibility.
2: Yeah. Oh, ColecoVision, how we miss you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, now it's just a, a shell company. And the less we say about the Coleco Chameleon, the better.
2: Come, 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 come chameleon. Oops, it's the wrong one. Sorry. You come and go. Oh.
1: So how many tangents does that make now? Around uh, three. We keep hitting that number.
2: It's our good number, and look how far we into the cast already. We're only, what, 26 minutes? True. It works. Like, that's usually where we, let's, you know, usually we're up to, like, two at this point. So, like, we might be on track to be, like, uh, to be Pemmy.
1: <laughs> Could be. You're, you would love Pembroke, Billy. You know, he, he, he's a genuinely sweet, funny guy, and we're hoping to bring him up for the convention if it happens this year or next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I, I look forward to it. I like sweet, funny guys.
1: Yeah, you'll definitely want to check out the cartoon podcast we're doing, especially in a few weeks when we we take on the Pink Panther.
2: Dun, See, I... Dun, 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 dun. I know way more
0: about cartoons than I know about video games. I'm surprised you wanted me for this.
2: Well, you asked. Why wouldn't
1: we? <laughs> Why wouldn't we? We love you, Billy.
0: Well, thank you, James. Thank you, Chrissy.
1: But speaking of cartoons, Donkey Kong did get a cartoon. He did. was part of Ruby Spears' Saturday Supercade anthology series in 1982. And believe it or not, the voice of Mario, the original cartoon voice of Mario, at least as far as us here in the States goes, would not be Captain Lou Albano, as it would be in the late 80s with the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Nope. It was Peter Cullen. My man! Yes, Optimus Prime himself.
2: My man. He also did Xandar. Uh, he did Xandar uh, and G.I. Joe, as well as Captain Hawk, uh, General Hawk. Sorry. Tangent.
1: That's that's fine. That's fine. We're Round four. And, of course, Billy, you'd know Peter Cullen best as the original Eeyore. I was just going to say Eeyore.
2: I forgot about that.
0: I was just going to mention it. I didn't want to step on Chrissy.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, bother.
2: Oh, bother.
1: And also packaged in with with Donkey Kong in that anthology would be that game's sequel, Donkey Kong Jr., which, as a video game as you probably saw in the video I linked to you last night, Billy. Yep, I watched it. The tables get turned very Mm -hmm. in that Mario, who was the protagonist in the first game, becomes the antagonist, having captured Donkey Kong and is returning him to the zoo or the jungle or wherever. And and your player character is Donkey Kong's son, Junior. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Well, even the original story of of Donkey Kong, like when they fin- someone finally fleshed it out a little bit more, and from the original notes, Mario was not the good guy in that one either. Um, he was the abusive owner of Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong had enough, broke out, and kidnapped his girlfriend to get away. So really? that, that was actually one of the original notes for the story of Donkey Kong.
1: Boy, am I glad they retconned that!
2: Yes, they did. They fixed that one. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of the original. That was one of the original um, story notes. Was was that you know Mario was a jerk to him? It wasn't until they finally became, gave Mario, you know, Mario became the beloved character that he was that they were like, "Ooh, this might be a little problematic."
0: Plus, plus, back then you didn't want to play the villain. No, If you were playing Mario, you didn't want to be the abusive owner of of Kong, Donkey Kong.
2: No, so so they had to change it up a little bit where, you know, they just... Either way, Donkey Kong was Mario's pet. Feels a little bit of murder on the Rue Morgue there, just a tiny bit.
1: (laughs) Just a bit, yeah. But at the same time, through no incarnation of this, could you necessarily call Donkey Kong truly, quote-unquote, evil? No, he was never meant to be evil. He was just a monkey. He's mm-hmm. acting on instinct. And
0: he was he was doing what monkeys stuck.
1: do. So so I guess that makes these first two Donkey Kong games kind of a, a tale of neutral morality versus neutral morality, and just hey, set my set my girl free. Hey, set my father free. Hey, set everybody free. And <laughs>
0: Set me free, little girl. <laughs> oh sorry, singing the kinks now. That's okay. That's okay. And my cat just decided to play with my hand. So oh. with his stabby little claws. Oh. Gee. So I was fighting oh. off Hi, the I was fighting off the ears to go. Ow! <laughs> <laughs>
2: Pai is like let me hit Donkey Kong. Let me hit him. Let me hit him. Let me
1: exactly. hit him. Exactly. i didn't have my fingers. What would be the cat version of puppy power?
2: Kitty
0: power.
1: You know, I'm looking for something that's alliterative here. Puppy you know, like, power. Like, oh,
0: is it, what, what are you turning the Scrappy do on me?
1: Well, there's a reason for that.
2: <laughs>
1: Kitty Karma. Because well, that, that that'll do. Okay. Because uh, in the animated Donkey Kong Jr., uh, the title character was voiced by Scrappy-Doo's original voice actor, Frank Welker. No
0: kidding.
2: What is Frank Welker not in?
0: (laughs) Frank Welker's done everything.
2: Like, I think he's the most prolific person in Hollywood. Like, I don't think there's anything he has not been in, in some way, shape, or form.
1: Pretty much. Yeah, and you know the connection goes deeper with Scrappy Doo and, and Donkey Kong Jr. because like Scrappy Doo had puppy power, DK Jr. had monkey muscle. Ba da ba ba da ba ba Plus
0: he wasn't wasn't as beloved as the original.
1: No. Not not. Right. I I mean I, I hear a lot of uh, the people I, I follow kind of uh are like, no, this was not nearly as good as the original Donkey Kong. And while I agree, I like to say that comparing Donkey Kong to Donkey Kong Jr. is like comparing a Triple Fudge Sunday to a Klondike bar. I mean, yeah, one is going to be quote unquote inferior to the other, but a Klondike bar is still going to be pretty satisfying.
0: Excellent point. That's an and excellent it's also point. good
2: for watching when you're trying to watch your calories. <laughs> True that. <laughs> Just
1: saying. So after this point, uh, the two characters, Mario and Donkey Kong, would split off from each other. And in Mm -hmm. 1983, Nintendo would release two games, one for each of their two leading men. Mario Brothers would be clearly the more successful of the two, with its two-player format, introducing Brother Luigi, and its joust inspired gameplay you know you look at the at, at the format of the stage and the way players can both help and uh, invite conflict with each other let's put it that way mess each other up I guess is another way to put it <laughs> it mm-hmm. was basically the the evolutionary point where they said okay this is what we're gonna build on next and you know that eventually begat Super Mario Brothers and the revival of, a, of an industry. Whereas with Donkey Kong, he got slapped into a revival of another of Nintendo's Space Invaders clones, Space Firebird. And they put him in a greenhouse for no apparent reason, being pursued by a generic looking uh, pest exterminator named Stanley. For
2: no apparent reason.
1: And Stanley would appear in the Donkey Kong cartoon also, as it turns out, in its second season. Oh, boy. Yeah, and they actually did a more accurate uh, version of him opposite Ruby Spears' individualized design for Donkey Kong, which made the two standing next to each other not look right whatsoever. But at the same time, this, it wasn't Donkey Kong 3 wasn't a bad game. Necessarily, I but it just seems to be trying to do too much and not giving enough of a good context for any of it. Because it, 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 it comes off as much as Galaga as anything else, especially with the design of the bugs and the patterns, some of them fly in. Because you're while you're trying to get Donkey Kong out of the greenhouse, you're dealing with butt with a variety of bees and other insects trying to steal plants, and you've got to contend with jumping around on various platforms, which affects the range of your of your bug spray. And that bug spray is also how you get rid of Donkey Kong. By I cannot believe I'm saying this, but spraying, you are spraying it up his rear end. What?
2: <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. Apparently they were allowed to get rid- get away with more shit back then.
1: Yeah, figuratively and literally.
2: Oh my god. Yeah, I-, I, feel- I feel horrible for Donkey Kong now. I really, really do. The poor guy.
1: Yeah, I still have no idea why he's in that greenhouse. You never see a graphic of a banana or other delicious fruit. There's no trace of Pauline in the game, so he's not pursuing... His infatuation—he's just there. It's like Nintendo was desperate to come up with an idea to keep this character in the public eye,
0: and that's probably exactly what it is. It's yeah. it's sequelitis.
2: It was just something to see. Okay, let's throw him here and see if this makes this popular,
1: and it didn't. No. But Nintendo never really lost sight of the character. For years and years they were planning on having a on having an NES game where you would actually play as Donkey Kong. But apparently he was still just too quote unquote big a presence on the screen, especially to be a movable feature in a in a platform or similar game. Because, you know, Mario takes up a certain number of sprites. In a Super mm-hmm. Mario game. For scale, Donkey Kong would be twice as wide as Mario and thus take up twice as many moving sprites. And on a on a horizontal line on a Nintendo Entertainment System, you can only have up to four. Is it a horizontal or a vertical line? You can only have four moving sprites. I forget. You're doing
2: better than I am because I don't even know that.
1: But, but yeah. this is the reason why Sprite Flicker is a thing on a Nintendo system. All I know of you
0: you've now made me want a delicious lemon lime soda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> mm, that's right.
1: Oh, oh man.
2: so a lot of this also should probably lead into the back half of this, which is Donkey Kong being one of those games where people are so competitively trying to get That mysterious high score.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, the the competitive nature of of video gaming took root long before the the term esports was a twinkle in some marketer's eye. Yep. You know, we we saw proof of positive of that in the high, high score documentary with the early Atari 2600 Space Invaders tournaments. But let's be honest, the concept of high score bragging rights has been with us since there's been high score boards
0: but with pinball
1: well, exactly, yes, you have
0: to go back to pinball for high people trying to be high scores, oh yeah, or bowling,
2: <laughs> yeah, but bowling, you can't get any higher than like three hundred like there is yeah. a there is a there is a cap to what you can get
0: true but uh, so is there a cap to the score you can get on donkey kong now yesterday i watched the king of kong fistful of quarters documentary Mm -hmm. and so and there's a point i learned that there's a kill screen where like what what happened chrissy the game can't support itself anymore and it just dies
2: yeah so the kill screen in donkey kong is and it's actually if you're a donkey kong competitor that is, you actually want to get the kill screen because that means you have scored so many parts so many points you have officially broken the game
0: you you've hit every let you've you
2: uh, hit everything hit every level yeah, you have officially killed you officially broken the game. That the kill screen in Donkey Kong in the original cabinets is like the golden like is like the golden apple. You know, it, it's 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 that golden ring you want to grab from the carousel because if you get it, it means you have broken the game. You have So officially- is there a
0: certain is there a certain number that would do that
2: or it's on um, I- no one really knows because the game had. There's only been four known times of the kill screen.
1: Um, I speak to a technical level about some other kill screens, namely mm-hmm. on Namco games like Pac-Man and Dig Dug. It's when it's when you get past stage 255, because the uh, the num the computing buffers in the hardware can't. Can't look when they look to number two hundred and fifty-six, they uh spit out they wind up spitting out garbage. The the stage two hundred fifty-six in Pac-Man is half garbled nonsense and thus completely unplayable. While stage two hundred fifty-six in Dig Dug starts with one of the enemies right on top of you so you die instantly.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: I don't know if that number comes into play with Donkey Kong.
2: Um, like I said, there's only been four real known, inc- like, actual, like, verified, proven incidents of the kill screen with Donkey Kong. Um, three of them have happened at competitions. So no one really knows kind of what triggers it. It just knows that it just usually is when people have broken the one million mark, that's usually what triggers the kill screen. So, like right now, I think the highest score in Donkey Kong is. Oh, I had it up here not too long ago. Um, let me pull it up. Talks amongst yourselves.
1: Okay. okay. A chickpea is neither a chick nor a pea. pea. All right.
2: High score in Donkey Kong. Go. So, yeah, the highest score so far in Donkey Kong is 1 million. 247,700 points, and that was achieved on February 2nd of 2018 by Robbie Lakeman, and it was verified on March 23rd of 2018 by Twin Galaxies. That is the current highest score so far in Donkey Kong, and that was the last kill screen someone was able to get.
0: So the hero of King of Kong, Steve Wiebe, has now had his Scored beat. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, his score has been beat a few times.
0: Ah, okay.
2: Because even even though when King of Kong ends, Billy Mitchell still kept trying to beat his score. Um, Some of the means upon which he did it were considered less than uh, credible you know. Yeah, and, think...
1: I, and I've got the details on that right here in front of me right now.
2: Yeah. So right now, Robbie Lakeman holds it, um, and no one has broken it yet. Steve um, Weeby, as far as I know, he's kind of cool with it being Robbie Lakeman. Um, I know Billy Mitchell, I think, is still throwing a fit over it and is trying to get it thrown out.
0: That, it, it, for people that haven't seen that King of Kongs documentary, it's it's really, really good. It, it is a hero versus villain story. They, Billy Mitchell might be the biggest villain since, I want to say Thanos. (laughs) 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 He, He, he was, my wife hated him so much that she went, at the end of, well, spoilers, at the end of the movie when they show the update Susan's like, yes, yeah, And she's like, <laughs> she was so happy. When the movie first started, she was sort of like, no, because some of the the people in there kind of played for laughs and made the look kind of silly. And, no, she, we were laughing at the right parts. But by the end, you're so invested in Steve Wiebe defeating Billy Mitchell. it It's... It's such a good movie.
2: Yeah. He, he, yeah, it's. When you watch this movie, you really start, you really like. Steve Wiebe was just like, well, okay, if you're saying I I cheated, let's let let let's settle it here and now. He he went to so many competitions that Billy Mitchell said he was going to be at and then didn't show up to because Steve Wiebe was there. And Steve Wiebe kept saying, come on and play me. All I want you to do is come up on the stage. Let's play each other. We'll settle this once and for all. And like it was like Billy Mitchell was running with his tail between his leg because I had a feeling he was afraid that he was going to be found out. You know, the people who were um, certifying his score were people who later on, it came to found out, were lying about their own gaming scores to get titles and get prize money. Like, you know, and the thing that really did Billy Mitchell in was actually the King of Kong documentary. It was brought up in court and Twin Galaxies pulled it up and said, "This is look at this," and it was like he was he was damned by his own words in this documentary.
0: Yeah. That, I, I, he is the prototypical villain. If if I had to write a villain, it might be him.
1: I think somebody it, actually. She, beat yeah, it to he it. was
2: just. Yeah, I think someone did actually.
1: Yeah, if you if you look, at mean up, he, which, which of us should be going first, Chrissy? You. Okay. Because, as it turns out, the movie Pixels, an otherwise completely forgettable Adam Sandler comedy based on, oh, hey, look at this video game. Hey, look at this video game. Hey, look at this video game. The Peter Dinklage's character in that movie is based on Billy Mitchell.
0: No kidding.
2: Yes. I've never
0: seen that movie. Now you make oh. me want to watch it, even though it, it sounds is... terrible.
2: It is a horrible. It is. It's so bad. It's good. I might That's have
0: the, to show that to Susan this afternoon.
2: That, that it's one of those movies where I. am going to tell you right now. It's. It's bad. It's really bad. But <laughs> you just start laughing because it's so bad. It's. Fu- it's so bad. It's funny. Like I, I mean, this is a movie that I wish Mystery Science Theater 3000 was still around because this would totally be a movie for them to to mm-hmm. to totally skewer. It's of so bad it's good.
1: Of course, getting the rights to all those characters for an MST3K version would be difficult too.
2: I don't know. I, I, I think just the free, I think after, I think just the sheer fact that it becomes free advertising for your movie
1: would no. probably
2: be enough to peep, peep, to have them going, all right, we're reducing it for you. Because if you think about it, I watched a lot of bad 1950s and 60s sci fi. Because of Mystery Science Theater 3000, because I wanted to see it without the guys talking, and then going back and watching it with the guys talking. So, I mean, I've done that, where I've actually gone on to Netflix and rented movies, and even when I was younger, going to Blockbuster and looking for specifically older movies to watch. Because I'm like, I want to see what this person was saying, because they were talking. I have
0: a copy of Mitchell without the robots because Mitchell was my favorite mystery science theater movie.
2: Oh, nice. Um, I mean,
0: but yeah, the talking about that, the mystery science theater guy, are, you're familiar with riff tracks, aren't you Chrissy? Mm-hmm. James, yes. Uh, yes. they do audio commentaries that you can play while you no, know, you have to play your own version of the movie. But well, you can listen to, to the say, MT3 version of, they've done tons of like blockbuster movies.
1: I you was can, just about to say that that would be the most likely way that would happen for Pixels. Oh, yeah.
0: And I wonder if it's already happened, to be honest. I be don't honest.
1: believe so. I'm on their mailing list, and I would have seen okay. it.
0: Gotcha.
2: Too bad we can't make a suggestion to them.
1: Oh, well, we could. Or I, I follow them on Twitter. Form. Yeah. They do have a suggestion form on their site, and they've done some other video game movies. They just did Double Dragon, and a while <laughs> back they did. Going back to our su- our initial subject, they d- they did Super Mario Brothers a short while ago.
2: Oh, Super Mario Brothers yeah. movie! Oh, they had so much expectations, and Bob Hopkins was good in that as Mario. He really was. So was um, it's the, uh, oh. John Lamazzano.
0: Oh, John Leguizamo! Uh, That's
1: right.
2: He was. He played Luigi. He's mm-hmm. actually the reason why I fell in love with Luigi as a character.
1: So back really? to Billy Mitchell real quick. I mm-hmm. want to read this segment of a Polygon article about the allegations regarding his cheating. But now, an extremely technical case has been made against the veracity of Mitchell's score. A slowed down video of his performance compares that to how Donkey Kong renders when it's it is played in emulation. That is, on something other than original cabinet hardware. The charge is that Mitchell used an emulated version of Donkey Kong and the replay footage to represent a continuous, authentic attempt. Generally, the allegation is he was monkeying around with, with, with the game and an emulator, pun not intended, monkeying around, to represent a one continuous playthrough when in fact he could very easily have been manipulating something like save states, where he saves his progress, makes a mistake, restores his progress back from where from just before he made the mistake. And on mm-hmm. and on and on. Something you cannot do on original hardware, which is why Twin Galaxies only recognizes original well, hardware. Well,
2: what's interesting is... Go ahead. Yeah. And what's interesting is that this is the accusation against him that he leveled against uh, Steve Wiebe in the act in, in the actual documentary. The first right. time that Steve meets his score, he says, oh, well, this isn't a legitimate hardboard. Because he because uh, he had an issue with the person who actually uh, restored the cabinet. Wow. Yeah, they actually go into that. How the guy who he found out who restored the cabinet, Billy Mitchell and him hate each other, like they despise each other to 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 a very like uncomfortable end. And that was one of the reasons why Billy Mitchell. That's one of like the one of the things that makes you really don't like him is like the second he heard who did the cabinet, he told Twins Galaxy, oh well, this is this is a corrupted board. You can't use this board. And they listened to him. Wow. Then they also tried to dismiss out of it using videotaped footage of a high score, and they, that's the other. than when Steve Weeby did it again, and they was like, they Billy Mitchell says, "Oh, well, you can't accept that. That's videotaped. You know, that could be that could be doctored." But then he turned around and submitted a videotape of his high score. And was like oh no I'm completely legit Like I think that's everyone's issue With Billy Mitchell was like He would say well here are the rules But they don't apply to me Does this guy have borderline
1: personality Disorder or something? He looks
0: like the sleaziest Used car salesman Stereotype you've ever seen it's, It's insane If you had to create a stereotypical Bad guy It'd be this guy
2: yeah, he the reason why his scores eventually got um, were eventually um, fully questioned and investigated was because there were people on the in actual Twin Galaxy who helped run those leaderboards felt that his wins were not integ- were not full of integrity. They were not real wins and they wanted to protect the integrity of the leaderboard. Because as we all know, Twin Galaxy only acknowledges original hardware. So it wasn't even Twin Galaxy as a company that was investigating him. It was actually people who were on the leaderboards and were moderating the leaderboards that said something something is not right here with what's going on with him and his Donkey Kong scores. And the documentary brought a lot of that to light. And they asked Twin Galaxies, you need to investigate this or all your leaderboards are going to lose complete credibility And they did and that's when they decide they did and and that's why it took I think about almost five years of investigations for them to turn around and say yeah he he, he did not use he did not follow the guidelines set for the high scores. We need to erase his um, his high scores. they are, they are null and void. And he threw a fit because, oh, my God, he got away with breaking the rules for so long. And then when someone put accountability on him, he threw a temper tantrum just like a little toddler.
1: Wow. So before we wrap things up, there's a few points I want to circle back to. Uh, First of all, that article I was quoting was written by Owen S. Good. So credit where credit is due, Owen. Secondly... Uh, regarding Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong Jr. actually represents the first video game Nintendo made in house. But how they did it kind of set some unusual legal precedents. Because up to that point, Nintendo had used contract com- firm Ikigami Sushinki for their. That's eerie. Hmm. Chr- Chrissy, was that coming from your end?
2: It might have been. My computer popped up a video that shouldn't have popped up.
1: Okay, okay. Sorry, guys. That. That's okay. So as I was saying, Ikigami Sushinki was a was a contractor who had actually developed the original boards for the original Donkey Kong, for Sky Skipper, and other games. And Nintendo took their code that that Nintendo had commissioned, so they believed they owned it, and you reverse engineered it to make Donkey Kong. Whereas Ikigami Sushinki said. Hey, wait a minute, we made this. This belongs to us. So that's how. So that case eventually went to court, and it was theorized that for the longest time, that's why we never we almost never saw the original arcade Donkey Kong be republished. We'd see the NES port, which again was missing a stage. But the funny little detour this takes is Ikigami Sushinki. Also, did contract work for Sega. They were ac- they were actually the team that developed Zaxxon based on their notes, and they would take that Zaxxon engine and apply it to a Donkey Kong style game with a Donkey Kong style antagonist and a Mario esque protagonist, and that would be called Congo Bongo. Hmm. So, that may have been the inadvertent first shot. In the Sega Nintendo rivalry, yeah, that's about right. And and of course, the ironic thing is, both Sega and Nintendo's games were appearing at the same time on platforms like ColecoVision, Atari Twenty Six Hundred, Intellivision, and so on and so on, before either company even thought of entering the U.S. console market. And boy, thank goodness they waited. So I think that just about wraps up our thoughts on Donkey Kong. Unless uh, I'm, unless uh, Chrissy, uh, do you think I'm missing something here?
2: No, I think we pretty much hit everything. We talked about king of the King of Kong's fistful of quarters. We talked about the history of Donkey Kong, how characters in it got its name, how it was really actually the first Mario game. Uh, we brought back some old memories of time out over at the Gre- Long Ridge and Greaseview Mall, Greasebridge Mall. Um, I think we hit everything, other than oh. the Universal lawsuit that was filed against Donkey Kong and ultimately failed.
1: Oh, we, we, we talked that about
2: yeah. Oh, we did. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. We talked about how Donkey Kong could be referring anything big, huge, and destructive. No, I think we hit everything, other than uh, this day in video game history and. Saying goodbye to everyone. I think we're
1: good. All right. Well, Billy, you got anything left? Uh, in the I future? have nothing.
0: I, I I feel like I've contributed nothing throughout the, this whole hour. So
1: No, you did. No, you did. You, great. Did. you, are so- you did great. You were you, you our Crotee robot.
0: <laughs> I, I spent time listening, and you guys are very interesting. I learned. I sat here and learned. I and, was and a Jedi could, student.
2: And, and we gave you a movie to watch that's so bad it's good.
0: Oh, that's right! I already (laughs) forgot.
2: (laughs) And we also learned that Susan Susan can see an asshole coming a mile away. So exactly,
1: we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will have our contact information and this game in video game, or this day in video game history. One of these days, (laughs) (laughs) we're (laughs) going to (laughs) (laughs) talk too
0: fast,
1: and and everything else. Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a non-profit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at krissi at fc 3 rocorg and me at J-A-M-E-S at F-C-3-R-O-C dot At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool, and begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking, that's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind, so if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Welcome back, everybody. And now our our last shot. This day in video game history, the company Gremlin Graphics was founded in the United Kingdom. Now this one is going to be more familiar to any overseas listeners over there because Gremlin Graphics mostly developed for the the ZX Spectrum and other microcomputers that were popular in England and and other uh, other. Uh, European territories. Their biggest claim to also fame... Also known as
2: PALS Reasons. Yes, Hi, the pals. PALS region. Hi, PALS.
1: Yes. <laughs> Their biggest claim to fame would be the Monty series. Monty Ooh. on the Run, Monty is Innocent, and other single-screen platformers like that, which are kind of, sort of Donkey kong But, you know, instead of... Uh, Instead of getting from the top of one screen and then and then and then immediately starting at the bottom of the next, you'd kinda of flip between screens based on your location. But these games never really gained much traction in the US. But at the same time, that was the most significant thing I could find on this day that wasn't something we'd already covered. On so, this day in video
2: game history.
1: Yeah. So, Billy. Yes. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you typically?
0: or they can find me typically. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Radio Free Billy D. Facebook, Billy Detoury, which uh, don't try and spell it, just you'll figure it out. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go to recordarchive.com slash blog, I write a blog every week, and you can hear me every week. On the Monkey Business Podcast, the Flower City Comic Con Monkey Business Podcast, which uh, I don't know the exact exact address for that, but go to flowercitycomiccon.com and click around and you'll come
1: across it.
2: You'll find or, us there too. <laughs> yep. yep you can Rocket be- Archive is a place to
1: go. In fact, you can find all of the uh, Mighty Monkey Corporation podcasts at linktr.ee backslash Mighty Monkey. There you go. There we go. So on that note, for Billy DeTorey and Chrissy Harding, I'm James Irish. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gaming Street Irregulars and Game On. Bye, everyone. Shoot. Shoot. Shoot.